Hey everyone, you're listening to episode number 34 of the Elysium Project podcast, Microdosing Magic Mushrooms, part two with Neural Growth. I'm your host, Brian Johnson. Established in 2018, Elysium Project is a podcast and social movement fostered on the belief that a conversation can change the world. Our mission at Elysium Project is to leave the planet and its society in better condition than we found it. If you'd like to support us, you can find us on Patreon and all other social media channels by visiting our website, www.elysiumproject.tv. Today, I'm speaking with Jeff and Andrea from neurogrowth.ca. We've received a lot of questions since our original episode on this subject last year, so I wanted to have them back on the show to do a follow-up podcast and specifically talk more about balancing these treatments with conventional medicine. Please remember in most parts of the world, psilocybin is still an illegal substance and you should always consult with a medical professional before embarking on your own microdosing experience. Andrea and Jeff, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Great to be here. Absolutely. Um, the first episode we did was actually, I think I mentioned this to you both before, but it has the most downloads of any of the podcasts that I've done. Oh, that's nice. awesome. No I've way. done podcasts <laughs> with like David Wolf and some other big names, and and yet this is this is what people wanted. <laughs> well, that's awesome. It's a hot topic. Yeah, it's definitely one that's capturing a lot of attention. It is, and only only growing day by day. My mom, who is uh, 70, 72, is always telling me about, um, she's seeing new articles on psychedelics all the time. And so it's, it's uh, captivating all generations, not just the kind of new age culture. It's really broken into the mainstream. Oh, that's awesome that your mom's into it. Uh, my mom definitely knows about it and has heard me talk about it a little bit, but to her, it's definitely uh, somewhere between woo-woo and hippie BS is <laughs> <laughs> probably where it lands. But uh, just having a conversation about it is really important. You know, I know one thing we've talked about recently is just accessibility to something like this and and of course it's illegal and there's so many factors but probably one of the biggest ones is just stigma in your own social circles you know if your mom and dad and you have a decent family structure and your mom and dad are really against something that's really going to weigh on you and whether you're not you're going to try it you know so or to what extent you having, feel like you have to hide it, right? Yeah, which really doesn't help in your overall situation of trying to find healing. And mm-hmm. especially if it's depression and anxiety, you're usually looking for some sort of acceptance into the community. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do something that's going to further put you at odds. And I feel like stigma largely comes from just a lack of information or a flood of incorrect information. And in the, I I think about the 60s, 70s, the kind of the damage done, you know, they went on such an aggressive ad campaign against the use of psychedelics. 
So it's, it is difficult for people of that generation to, to come on board. But I hopefully, I think we're making great progress. There's so many people that are getting attracted to this space, like really serious people, people who are only interested in, in real results. And I think that's led to a flood of great information and more people are starting to ask questions. And, and I think a lot of people... So that generation, these are our parents, grandparents, maybe even great grandparents now. They're seeing their grandkids on these antidepressants, maybe now for 5, 10, 15 years, very little improvement. And, and they too just want to see what's best for the family. So I think we have a, a really great window here to basically get healing to, to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It almost seems as though it's where cannabis was 10 or 15 years ago, you know, growing acceptance of the use for medical purposes and the decriminalization and that stigma that ultimately, I mean, it's obviously still there, but has uh, gone away to some extent for psychedelics as well as cannabis. Well, the information now that's out there, right? Like you can get information from you know, every major news source in Canada has reported on psychedelics and microdosing and specifically on psilocybin. And so, um, and there's lots of journal entries and like new journal articles, sorry, to support, support the use of psychedelics now. And a lot of these mainstream news sources are coloring, are covering this. And so our parents and um, friends and family members, they have a lot of access now to information, um, even from news sources that they, that they know and that they trust and that they're familiar with, um, which I think makes a big difference too. in just the, the education. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, you touched there on uh, antidepressants, traditional SSR, SSRI medications and so forth versus maybe doing microdosing. This is a conversation we actually had after the last podcast recording was <laughs> over, which is why ultimately I wanted to have the two of you back so that we could um, particularly maybe dive into that a little bit more. Um if someone is currently on antidepressants, the SSR that can't say it properly. Yeah. SSR. There's so many, <laughs> there's so many different four letter and three letter selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, one that? great yeah. place to start on is, you know, that whole class of drugs is targeting obviously the serotonin system And that's what magic mushrooms mimic in the brain. They play on similar receptor sites and they look just like serotonin, but slightly different. And those slight differences make major changes. I would say one of the biggest things when talking about conventional medicine is it can be very necessary. Like I in no way try and build up walls and it's one or the other and you, oh, you're on antidepressants. Well, you made the wrong choice. <laughs> you can't come over to this side. We're trying to remove all that. I think most people, that's the boat they're going to find themselves in, right? I mean, if you go to your doctor and you say you're having issues with stress or depression, I mean, that's really their only toolbox it's the only tool in their toolbox so we don't want to cast out anyone who's been there but i think a big thing to bring up is a lot of those drugs have an overall especially in the long term numbing effect so if you're in a severe situation that can be a godsend like maybe you need them for short term 
so you can improve the factors in your life that are major. But at the end of the day, they're never, ever, in my opinion, on their own, going to address the root cause of your pain, of you know the root cause of your problems. Like I said, they're very numbing in effect, which is quite the opposite to psychedelics. You know, magic mushrooms, you often hear the word, it's a heart opener, which is a bit of a woo-woo term. But more scientifically, what that means is, is you feel your emotions way stronger than you typically would. Whereas an antidepressant makes you feel your emotions way less than you typically would. So when you view it from that light, you know, you can see some, some maybe some problems and some amazing solutions. So if we're feeling our emotions on a much deeper level, we need to know that. And we need to make sure that we put ourselves in a supportive environment which is why that stigma thing is so important, right? If you start taking these and then all these emotions come up and, and you go and look help for help within your community, because yes, you know, like psychotherapy and, and having a therapist can, is so important, especially if your issues are severe. But sometimes, and especially if maybe it's not about severity of issues, but a lot of us find healing just within our own communities, talking to our parents, our brothers, you know, our, our good friends, and if the minute we say, well, we microdose and then there's all this pressure, well, it's not going to lead to a productive conversation. But mm -hmm. back to my original point, you know, if we're going to use these substances, we have to be in a, in a supportive environment. And, you know, and that's your responsibility as the user to make sure, hey, you know, what am I going to make sure I'm scheduling calls or maybe you are going to book appointments with therapists. And, and we often say it's best to, to put this plan in place before you even start. So you can go seek out some therapists and if they, you know, are kind of rude or standoffish about microdosing and most of them aren't, like it's a pretty rare story these days. Like I, I keep bringing that up, but I've actually haven't heard that happening in at least three years. So it's very likely you're going to tell your therapist and they might not know anything about it and they'll give you a bit of a disclaimer, but they'll say, Hey, if you think it's going to help, you know, and those are the perfect people because they're unbiased and they're going to look at you very objectively and make sure that week by week they're, you know, they're seeing the improvements. Because sometimes, especially with our severe issues, like it can feel like you're going backwards when you're going forwards, especially when the emotions are getting pulled up from the depths and, and you thought that something you healed five years ago is, you know, it's still fresh in my mind. Well, you know, a good therapist will know that that is all part of the journey and, and it'll help you through it. So make sure you have that plan in place. And if you do find that you're on antidepressants, just, you know, scale off them very lightly. That is a huge point. And that has to be a decision you make on your own. Uh, don't let someone talk you into it. Make sure it's when you feel ready. And there's no rush. You've got <clears throat> time to put this plan into place and, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, if somebody is also looking for a therapist or they don't feel like they're well supported in their community, one of the things that you can search for online is a psychedelic informed therapist. Now, a psychedelic informed therapist is not going to um, 
prescribe or straight up recommend that you uh, try psychedelics. However, if you are seeking out psychedelics, they're also they're going to be in a space of non-judgment and um, they will be able to also give you, you know, like Jeff said, an objective perspective as to how your healing and um, therapeutic process is going that involves psychedelics. And they will understand and know about, um, you know, things like psilocybin and LSD and MDMA and all these different substances that people are microdosing. So psychedelic informed therapist is what you want to search for. And now in this beautiful world we live in where you can just meet with anybody from anywhere in the world, um, you should be able to find somebody that's a good fit for you somewhere if you're, mm -hmm. if you're looking for that extra support. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure in this day and age, if they're passionate about their career as a therapist, that they're going to be pretty well read, at least to some extent, on the fact that these treatments are now available and, and used fairly commonly. Yeah, I think you've even got a flood of, of people getting the by the book, you know, psychiatry credentials just to get into the field of, you know, this psychedelic assisted therapies and so on and so forth. So it's a, uh, it's huge. And like Andrew said, it's kind of one of the positives of COVID is, is almost everybody who wants to keep making a living anyway, has moved their business online if they can, yeah. you know, there's some sort of online push. So that's great, especially if you're in a rural area or there's, you know, maybe you live in a very uh, conservative part of the world where they don't view psychedelics as anything good. Well, you can get on a therapist on a call with the therapist somewhere in the world that's totally on board. So it's a, a super cool part of technology. And, and I don't think there's really any excuse for not finding a good person. There's, there's so many out there. And it, it makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Are there particular parts of the world that I would assume that are a little bit more ahead of others on these sorts of treatments? For sure. Um, like Jamaica and the Netherlands are the two that stand out to me. Yeah. Yeah. Jamaica, I think it's, it's definitely decriminalized. I don't know if it's yeah. legal, but it's a hundred. Yeah. And there's a few, I know Paul Stamets or not Paul, it might be Paul Stamets, but our own local Robert Rogers has a, has a foot in with, with a, what would you call it? Like a healing center down in Jamaica. I don't remember the name now, but yeah, they're definitely, and that's another thing in today's world, people will just up and move to the countries where they can do the research and get it going and be the yeah. pioneers and, and the more you know, the other countries will kind of lag behind. But I know there's two companies in North America. We've got Compass Pathways and then USONA. And they're both, I think one of them's almost in, in phase three of their clinical trials. So both of these companies got given, oh, what's the correct term? Basically like emergency approval to start looking at psilocybin as depression, as a dep uh, remedy for depression. And yeah, they're, uh, like I said, they're already almost in the phase three trials and you can go to their websites, USONA or Compass Pathways, just a Google search, and you can even maybe get involved with their trials in your area. So if you're someone right. listening who it's still very illegal, but you're looking for a foot in the door right away, it's probably a long shot, but, you know, there is some hope. And I think, you know, they're in phase three, we're probably only... And it's all going well from what I've read. So we're probably only a couple years out from some sort of legal pharmaceutical being out there that'll be psilocybin based. 
You know, Calgary's taken some major strides too. Yeah. Like right here in Calgary, Alberta, we have the Atma Journey Center now. And Atma, so yeah. if you have been diagnosed with a terminal illness, you can apply to the Atma Journey Center to undergo psychedelic therapy involving, uh, involving psilocybin mushrooms. So they have a process right on their website where you can apply and, um, and see if you qualify for the program. And this is a completely legal program. Um, you're exempted a waiver under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms here in Canada. And uh, so it's making um, psychedelics more accessible um, for, for, for sure. But right now it's only accessible to people who unfortunately are facing a terminal illness. So, I mean, that's gotta be like the most urgent need, like let's be honest with ourselves. Yeah. But um, it, I'm just so grateful that we're, you know, at a stage where we can, you know, start talking openly about this and where people who have the most, you know, serious, the most serious conditions can, can get access to that. What yeah. the Atmos Center is doing is super cool too, because phase one of their project was getting a bunch of therapists and getting them and nurses and up. doctors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now you're again, flooding the whole space with people who will have direct experience and, and more and more, you know, that whole thing where, you know, a psychiatrist or doctor laughs at you when you talk about magic mushrooms, like that's going to be such a thing of the past. It already is. And yeah, that is i I'm glad you brought that up, Andrea, what they're doing is unreal. And then once these other, like this USONA compass pathways, again, they're just the pioneers. Don't be discouraged that there's only two of them. Once they get approval, that opens up the door for many companies. And it's just, a, you know, how would you, it's just an investment strategy for companies. Let someone else pay the money to get the approval. Once the approval's there, even, you know, that'll have a trickle down effect. That's FDA approval. Canada will look at that very seriously. And then places like the Atma Journey Center will, will be able to expand their horizon to many different things. You know, I think the next big one, the keyword is uh, treatment resistant depression. Yeah, which is, you know, you've been on two different types of antidepressants and it didn't work for you. And that, I mean, I think it's 60% of people fall into that. You know, 100% of people that get on antidepressants, it only works for like 20 to 40%. And after you've been labeled treatment resistant, well, now your options in the legal world are go on further medications. Now you qualify to get put on antipsychotic medications, which have even worse side effects and, and so on and so forth. So again, like these people are starving to add tools to their toolbox that actually work. You know, we do have a pretty, I know I can, and, and a lot of people around me will have a more twisted view of our, our medical system. And, and I can definitely get on board with that. But at the end of the day, most people in that field are good people and they're sick of not having the tools to do the job. Right. With centers like the Atma Journey Center that we mentioned, are they offering those treatments as part of a clinical trial or is there... You mentioned that uh, if you're with have a terminal illness, that you can apply for it. Is there is there like I'm not sure the legal status in the Canadian medical system. Then, if you're terminally ill, is it legal for you to obviously I would assume undertake this therapy? I think Andrea, correct me if I'm wrong. You the first step in that whole thing is you apply for an exemption. Yes, the law. And you can do that right through yeah. the journey center. So they can help yeah. you with the paperwork and everything else. And you can submit your application. And then if you're approved, um, then they can consider taking you on um, for treatment there. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's like a two part process. Yeah. They walk you through. And then if you get the exemption, then they're allowed to treat you legally. You're exempt from the law that says, you know, magic mushrooms are illegal, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the way that the application process works now is you also have to be um, resistant um, to antidepressants and have had uh, no success with, with antidepressants. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's quite common, as you say, that people take many years to find the right antidepressant, so to speak. So um, it's interesting that you mentioned that. With the combining the two therapies, is it something that people can combine a traditional SSRI medication with the mushrooms? Um, I know that sometimes the SSRIs can uh, simply nullify the effect of, of psychedelics. Yeah. That's the number one, uh, reported, you know, bad interaction is just nothing happened. And I've even, uh, sat for people in journeys who are too fresh off of antidepressants and even large doses did very little. So that's definitely a thing. Now, everything we're about to say is extremely anecdotal. He said, she said. I'm, and know. there's no scientific studies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're in murky water. But when it comes to SSRIs, and be mindful that there's about 50 other different antidepressants, like the, most of them are old now, like lithium salts right, yeah. or lithium. Those are, and again, some people disagree, but as a disclaimer, I'd say do not mix those with any sort of microdosing or macrodosing. There's been some definite bad things there, but with SSRIs, it looks like you're pretty much in the clear. Again, the one thing being it might block them. I think it would be best if you could come off the antidepressants first, but that's in a perfect world and about 90% of the anecdotal evidence. So this is real world people who have, they're on antidepressants, they want to get off. They usually do like a scale out, scale in approach. So I'm going to start scaling off my antidepressants. And on day one of taking half my dose of antidepressants, I'm going to take this very small dose of microdosing. And they'll increase the microdosing while decreasing the antidepressants. Mm -hmm. And it's a balancing act. And that's why, again, it has to be a, a personal decision. You want to be in a stable enough place. And then just know that, you know, even if a, a normal person, I don't like the word normal person, but if a totally <laughs> you know, melancholy, fairly happy person uh, just starts microdosing, the flood of emotions can be quite intense, even then. So if you're been on these medications that maybe have been numbing for a while, I look at it as you get constipated with your emotions. So now simply coming off the antidepressants is going to have a microdosing like effect of opening up that floodgate. So take it slow I definitely think you can mix them safely, but without any sort of real studies, you know, you got to just take it slow. You could be the exception to the rule. So we have to tell you you to consult with your medical practitioner, your medical healthcare team. Yeah. And it's always good to let somebody know. Yeah. Let somebody know what you're, what you're wanting to do. Um, just that they can be real with you, um, and how things are going for you as they, as they watch you, you know, watch you try something new. Yeah, it's it's huge. And then the overall most important thing is not only to have a psychiatrist and that part of the plan, but also 
do some research into these other healing modalities, whether it's something like massage and just getting more exercise or more woo woo, like starting to meditate every day or doing different art therapies and yogas. I mean, there's a million different things. I tend to, you know, look at it on a, on a three level thing. You've got your mind, your body, and kind of your soul, the more deeper level, deep, deeper level stuff. The body is usually the, the quickest thing you can have an impact on. If you start putting the right ingredients in your body, especially for depression, I mean, all how we feel is basically a, a, co a, a combination effect of all the neurotransmitters going off in our brain. And the quality of our emotions can only be as good as the quality of those neurotransmitters and what they're made out of. And 80 to 90% of your serotonin is made in your guts. So putting a plan together that involves your diet, your lifestyle, and if me saying that causes you to sink in your chair, like, oh, I, I, I've tried that and I, I'm just too depressed. I don't have the energy. Well, don't worry. Still put the plan in place because that's what the microdosing is really going to have an effect on. It's going to On that intention. With, yes. Keep that intent. The microdosing is going to give you the motivation. It's going to start perking up the interest. You're going to feel that excitement a bit more. And it's so important to, in a way, capitalize on that because, you know, this is something me and Andrea have talked about. Even if you're microdosing at 100 milligrams, which is a pretty low dose, you're having a major impact on your brain. This is definitely a short-term thing that you want to do. Now, you could do it for a month and then do it again in a couple years or five months. Everybody's different. Um, but at the end of the day, this is not long-term, whereas the lifestyle upgrade is extremely long-term. And one of the saddest things I see is when people say, I was microdosing, everything was awesome. I went back to normal, happy. And when the honeymoon phase wore over, I went straight back to my depression, even worse because now you've tried something and it's failed and you feel like you're back to square one, but somehow even further behind. And to me, that is the saddest thing when I read that. We want to give people the knowledge to avoid that at all costs. When you're feeling good, when you're feeling that greatness, keep going. Look at how you can keep improving your life. There's always stuff we can do. I know things like herbs and supplements can be very expensive, but things like just going for a walk, meditation, getting in nature, the best things in life are still free. So there's, there's no excuse and you need to be easy on yourself, but you also need to be disciplined with yourself. And it's rare in life that we can get a medicine that's that effective, that perks you up and, and brings joy back into your life. If you can capitalize on that, you will, it will change your life forever. It, it takes it from a, a short-term little, that was fun, to a, wow, that, that changed my life. That was profound. And the difference, again, being those who really capitalize on that momentum and it's going to be different for everyone what healing modalities they use. And there's so many out there now. So, you know, definitely capitalize on that momentum. Yeah. And what you want to encourage people to do, I mean, a lot of people we see, um, they treat microdosing. I mean, often a microdosing um, 
microdosing is marketed to you in the form of a capsule or sold to you in the form of a capsule. And I see people who, you know, they're like, I'm just going to take this pill and it's, I'm going to feel better. And it's kind of a crapshoot. They don't really have a method. They don't really have a plan. And what we're talking about here is kind of going from, you know, the crapshoot, like taking the occasional capsule here and there, uh, maybe just, you know, doing it for a couple of days and not doing any other work to taking it to something where you can really experience a deep evolution. Um, I mean, that's where all the lifestyle stuff comes in. Um, and still, and the other major question that we get is like, there's people who like want to do this and they're so motivated and they really want that deep evolution, but the biggest roadblock for them is just the legal status. And they're like, I can't be buying mushrooms. Um, but the yeah. good news is there's lots of other medicinal um, mushrooms and herbs that, you know, that can do amazing things for your mood, your focus, um, and your sense of connection to your life and your, the world around you, um, without, um, without going there, if you don't want to, um, there's definitely some great options for people. We did yeah, get a lot of number. Sorry. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. I would say that the number one legal herb, in my opinion, and it's a bit of a plug because we do sell it on our website, but is reishi mushroom, specifically the reishi spores. That's the strongest version. So if you're looking for your closest legal alternative, it's going to be a highly concentrated reishi mushroom product. It has the same extreme heart opening effects and actually has medical benefits that, I mean, maybe the magic mushrooms have them too, but we don't know. But reishi is well studied. Its benefits on the heart, lungs, and even brain are well known. It's been used for thousands of years. I mean, such a powerful medicine that it was illegal if you weren't in the royal class to use it. Like it was reserved for the emperor of China and his family, oh, really? not in every dynasty, mm -hmm. but in the more authoritarian ones, mm. emperors found that people who took reishi were way too hard to control. These people <laughs> think too freely and they're too happy. So keep that well, in mind. Well, it's amazing because you can feel it too, right? Like people think oh, they're yeah. only going to feel it oh, if yeah. they take, um, you know, if they take cannabis or if they take, um, if they take psilocybin or, um, you know, LSD, whatever, whatever they're, whatever they're choosing. Um, but you can definitely feel it with Reishi. And um, I think that's promising for a lot of people, especially right now where we're still kind of walking in the gray zone of, um, you know, where's this going to go? Yeah, yeah, I do feel that myself with uh, some of the other mushrooms that I've taken the legal alternatives. Um, you know, a lot of supplements you take and you're like, I, I don't know if that really worked. But I really do feel with the mushrooms that I have taken the reishi and, and lion's mane and so forth that I can often definitely feel a noticeable uh, difference in my, my cognitive functioning. Yeah. If and a lot of those mushrooms. To, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> I was just going to say, if you like, especially with lion's mane, if you can get a high quality powder and really take it <laughs> like, <laughs> like a tablespoon in your elixir, find a way to make it taste good. Actually, lion's mane tastes good. But those mushrooms, if you can mega dose them, oh man, they can have profound effects. Lion's mane on the brain, cordyceps on your athletic ability. It's immediate it's it's unreal yeah one of the questions we obviously did get a lot of after the last podcast and even still recently some people send me messages is of course they're asking about the legality of the mushrooms and where can they get it um yeah 
what what if someone is looking to grow their own mushrooms purchase like some of these kits are widely available on on the internet where you can buy the the spores and, and grow your own what's the sort of legality about that does someone have to be worried if that's an option that they're considering taking i think it's the next best because you're not out on the street buying the mushrooms and you're never going to be traveling with the mushrooms because mushrooms in Canada schedule two, meaning there's no active law enforcement out there looking for mushrooms. The only way you're going to get caught with them is by coincidence. Like you've been pulled over for speeding and, you know, you were just grabbing them that one time, you know, kind of those, you know, the odds right. are in your favor that that's not going to happen, but still you avoid all that and buying those kits is completely legal in Canada. I think there's a few States where mushroom spores are illegal, but how it works is when mushrooms were made illegal, it was at the same time LSD was made illegal and LSD. It was made in a lab and it's just that lysergic acid. I can't remember the last word there. And it's just that very specific compound that's illegal. They did the same thing with mushrooms, like magic mushrooms aren't illegal, but psilocybin, the active ingredient is. However, there's no psilocybin in the uh, mycelium of the mushroom, which is actually the mushroom. You know, the fruiting body is just the sexual organ of the mushroom. So when you get those grow kits, you're usually getting some inoculated grain of that mycelium and then you mix up the substrate and, and then you spread that mycelium and it grows throughout the whole thing. So the first half of the project, you're completely in the green legally. But as soon as you put those out in the light and the mushroom fruiting bodies start to fruit, you are definitely now in possession of an illegal product. But in theory, this is now in your house. They're only ever going to be used in your house. You're not really going anywhere with them. I think, you know, this is obviously not legal advice, but for me anyway, that's your best bet. And they're not that difficult to grow. I mean, they, if you don't have any time on your hands, then this isn't going to be an option for you. But I think it's a great option. I think Terrence McKenna has a quote, something about, you know, the qualities needed to grow mushrooms are the same qualities needed to have a productive and successful journey on mushrooms so it goes very hand in hand you know you need to be patient and very slow and loving and forgiving with them so i think it's a great option growing them if the whole thing's off the books then reishi is definitely the next best option i will say in vancouver canada this isn't official you're not going to find this anywhere but they did go to their city council or sorry, the city council went to the police force and said, we're not giving you any money to go after magic mushrooms. In fact, if we see a court case about it's getting tossed, we're not spending any money on it. It has to be funneled into the opiate crisis. So now you're seeing a large gray market and you'll know that you simply search, you know, Vancouver uh, cannabis you know, like to get the online dispensaries and geez, about 80% of them will have some sort of microdosing product. I'm not vouching for them. I'm not saying their quality is good, but if you're someone who's, you know, you can't grow it, you just want to get it. I think that's an option again at your own, you know, use at your own risk. 
Um, but yeah, they're popping up everywhere. I will say, you know, I've made my own capsules before for my personal use. The math required and the, the trial and error required to do that right, I often wonder how many people are actually doing what's required to provide uh, quality and accuracy. And, and the dosage is so important. Like the difference between 100 milligrams and 150 could be the difference between you getting high and paranoid and having a great time and, and having some healing occur. And I've asked people, people gave me when I used to work at Light Cellar, because you'd get all sorts of, of interesting people and they'd just hand me samples. Hey, try this microdosing. I'd say, oh, cool. You know, how much is in it? Oh, somewhere between 100, 150 milligrams. I'm not too sure. Ugh. And then too, if you have a good experience, how are you going to duplicate that? How are you going to gain any traction? So I think if you can just get the dried mushrooms, you can powder them, you get a little $30 jeweler scale on Amazon, and now you can start accurately, you know, figuring out your dosage and going from there. So I'm not vouching yeah, the for the online companies, but it is out there. Yeah. And the thing is too, is like at a hundred or, you know, hundred to 200 milligrams is what most people are taking for a microdose. Like you don't have to encapsulate it. You don't have to make it hard on yourself. Encapsulating is a painful process. Um, you can just, uh, you know, measure it out, like literally lift your finger and down the hatch. Like it's, it's such a small amount that um, it's nothing to get worried about being grossed no. out by or anything like that. Stick it on some peanut butter and away you go. <laughs> The attraction to cap to capsules is usually the bland. Oh, but there's lion's mane and there's other things in here too that I want. Oh my gosh, we just talked about with lion's mane, you want to be on tablespoons. So to put that into perspective, yeah. a tablespoon of good lion's mane is probably about eight capsules. So you're not going to be hammering capsules in the quantity that you need to get true healing from those other mushrooms. So for microdosing, just get the powder. Like Andrea said, if you're not into making elixirs and some of these fancier drinks, then the flavor's gone. Like you can mask it so easily. Like a hundred milligrams is under an eighth of a teaspoon. So that is, even if it tasted horrible, which it doesn't, it's got a bit of a, like a truffle mushroom type intensity to it. It makes you pucker up a bit but it's gone so fast. And, and some and people, people are throwing it in their coffee and stuff, even right. Like oh yeah. as long as you if get you all the powder that, at the bottom. Exactly. Yeah. Just, it's not water soluble. So make sure you no. get the chunkies at the bottom, but you know, there's a lot of plant medicine therapists, traditional ones that insist that you don't mask the flavor and that you do taste that funky tasting little mushroom so that your body knows what's going on. And this brings us back to, you know, creating this whole plan and, and not just like Andrea said, a crapshoot, a pill here and there, just try and remember the respect that these mushrooms had from our ancestors, you know, whether it's the Amazonian tribes down there, or even Greece, pre-Christian times in Greece, they had these mm -hmm. ceremonies in Eleusis on the coast where they were eating this ergot which is almost like an LSD infused grain that they somehow knew how to brew and go at. Mm. And they would walk from Athens to Eleusis while fasting. So five to seven days walking and fasting, you know, that's the respect they gave these mushrooms. And what we're trying to convey is if you can do the same 
And it can be magical in its own way when you take them and, and you think of these things and how they were used and bring you back to your roots, you know, not just using it to get the most out of your workday. There's nothing wrong with that, but you can have a much deeper connection and relationship with these substances. And it's often those types of connections and relationships that are needed to pull us out of depressions and so on. So there's a reason why, you know, in kind of the pre-Christian era that almost every single civilization and culture had some sort of psychedelic or plant medicine at its roots. You know, modern day religion is you believe what I'm saying. You don't get to experience any of this. You just believe me. I'm the priest or whatever it is. Back in the day, that's not what they wanted. They wanted you to experience it. They wanted you to, to know in your heart about the gods and all these different energies and, and macro picture type things that are going on. So it's, it's when you can start tapping into it that way. You will have a large respect for it and you will take it from that crapshoot into that deep evolution realm. Mm -hmm. I, I, to expand on that, I believe very deeply that we inherit our ancestral traumas, but we also inherit our ancestral strengths. So if you yeah. know, you know, do some deep diving, find out, you know, where you, where you're from, where your ancestors are from, find out how they use these medicines and really try to connect with that and channel the strengths of your, the strength of your ancestors. I think there's a lot of power in doing that and it can be a beautiful and um, healing and healing connecting experience um, for people who are on this journey to just feel better and experience more happiness and connection in their life. Yeah, I think it's without a doubt, and I think science will prove it in short order that through our DNA, we definitely carry different traumas, the good and the bad, as you say, a lot of times we get too focused on the bad, but that is for sure. So you definitely want to give it that type of respect and know that you can have these large experiences, even from a microdose. By that, I mean, you can take the microdose. I remember I had a lady tell me, she cried for like 20 hours and journaled and had this huge release on like a hundred milligrams. She didn't need much, but you know, you do need to, you know, she gave it the respect and instead of burying it down, she got the journal out and she got in touch. She did some dancing, she said, and, and she never felt better in the weeks after. So, you know, if you're taking it thinking, Oh, I'm just, I'm going to feel great. And then it doesn't go to plan. And then you go get all worked up in your head. It's not as productive as if you can just honor what's really going on. Mm -hmm. I remember, I remember when we were talking with um, that particular lady and uh, she knew the mushrooms were working on her. And it's interesting because this week I received some communications from a fellow who is at his mid microdosing and he's been crying and having <laughs> this big emotional release. And he's like, it's not working for me. I'm so sad. I'm so, he's like, <laughs> I've never been like this. He's like, I'm even more depressed than I was before. And um, so we're kind of going back and forth, but um, I've also told him, I'm like, you know, what? mushrooms can cause you to, you know, tap into some of those emotions that might make you feel weepy or might, you know, cause that kind of a physical release. And it doesn't mean that it's not working and that you're necessarily more depressed than ever before, but I need him to, you know, take a really good introspective look and to try to figure out like where this is coming from. Are you indeed more depressed than you were before? Or is this something that's, ha are you having a heart opening? And maybe that's just something you haven't felt in a really long time. For sure. Yeah. <clears throat> bringing to light things that have maybe been suppressed, I would say. Yeah. 
Uh, before we close out this podcast here, uh, why don't you guys just tell people where they can find you again? And if you have anything else you want to say, what the latest and greatest you're up to with neural growth, feel free to drop it in here. Yes. Well, you can find us at neurogrowth.ca. You can also find us on Patreon. We're definitely uh, working hard in the background, coming up with some new content ideas to get things rolling. I just had a big move here. So we've definitely been in a bit of a lull. And Andrea too has got a, she's taken on a lot of responsibility at her new job as well, quickly climbing the ranks. (laughs) So it's, uh, but you know, we're very happy with the quality of information that we've been able to provide. And that's always our goal. And after doing this now for a while, like I said, we've seen the most important factor is treating it with respect, putting that entire plan together, take it from a crapshoot, turn it into that deep evolution, that deep dive. And then of course, the the number two being accessibility and, and doing whatever we can to bring legal alternatives to the table in the meantime, and just continue to crush that stigma while, you know, big companies here are working on getting this legalized. And soon we're going to have, you know, some powerful medicines out there, I'm sure of it. So just, you know, hang in there if you're someone who's depressed and, and waiting for it to be legal, look into these other mushrooms and feel free to reach out to us, whether it's with questions, content ideas, things you'd like to see in the space. You know, we're always open to discussion and, that's about where we're at. All right, perfect. Well, Jeff, Andrea, thank you again for joining us. Thanks You're again for being welcome. an amazing host. Yeah, <laughs> yeah anytime. Sure. All right, I'll talk to you guys soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Cheers. Have a great night. Much love, everybody, and thank you for listening today. If you'd like to support us, you can find us on Patreon and all other social media channels by visiting our website, www.elysiumproject.tv. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.